Alex Jones is back on X. I saw that. I voted in the poll. Did you vote? I said I'm yes. not a Twitter member or an X member. <laughs> That's a funny it's, way to say uh, it. It's funny an how, how many um, people are trying to get, trying to punish Elon Musk. I mean, it's one more, right, in the list of things the left hates him for. And one of the things they hate him for is that he allows people that they don't like to post things that they don't like on Twitter. <laughs> it's like you take a step back and and you just want to say, do you realize how petty and authoritarian you're being? You don't want Alex Jones to write things on Twitter. Why not? You don't have to follow him. You don't have to subscribe to his ideas. You don't have to pay him money. No one's forcing you to be on the platform. But we're in the era where uh, words are violence, right? Well, and, and that's and, the problem. And what they'll say are things like, just the very presence of these ideas is harmful to our democracy. I mean, just ask Al Gore. You, you, the, simulation, the simulation we're living in has a sense of humor. Yeah. Because Al Gore, you remember him? Al, Who, now, who's Al Gore? Former vice president and uh, when, though? climate hoaxer. He was in, uh, the vice president to Bill Clinton. No, wasn't that uh, Hillary? Well, Hillary was the was president. Was that Jimmy Carter that was the vice president? <laughs> Al Gore, I just, you know. Oh, uh, Envirodome. Mm -hmm. mm. So I'm just teasing. I remember Al Gore, but uh, history has forgotten this man, and he has tried to stay relevant. So he wrote a book entitled An Inconvenient Truth. Well, and, he, and he won a, a document. He won a documentary Oscar for the slideshow version of that <laughs> book, which is insanely... That that should have been a well. It was back then a red flag that hard times were coming. But I, you know, once I I saw Al Gore at the Salt Lake Airport I'd in person, huh? Yeah, I, I had landed, and uh, it was like a quiet Sunday morning or something, and the airport was very quiet, uh -huh. and it was like me and him in the hallway. <laughs> and I kept l looking at him, giving him a little side eye, like, mm -hmm. I know who you are, you big jackass. <laughs> and, and I think he was coming into town, into Salt Lake, to show, to show the documentary at Sundance, at the oh. film festival. Okay. And I just kind of remember giving him a look like, this was shortly after, you know, the hanging Chad incident and all okay. that. And I didn't notice any security with him. I mean, he was, and I, I wasn't threatening him or anything. I was just, but he, uh, yeah, he's, he's mostly been forgotten, but he made some news this week. The, the simulation has a sense of humor because here you have a guy named Al Gore, Alger, Al Gore, and he's ranting like an old dinosaur about the dangers of algorithms. <laughs> well, he's on Zero Hedge twice today, on the, at least right now on the front page. One where he apparently at the COP20 
or 28, 28 summit. What is that? That's the climate change. They're trying to get stuff done general by 2028 conference. or is it the 28th summit? I think it's the 28th and it's the general conference for the climate change religion. Uh, okay. So, so anyway, he's uh, one of the headlines is, is I think this links to a Paul Joseph Watson's story about how he has said that people having access to non-mainstream information threatens democracy. Exactly. And uh, I think that's what you're referring to about right. he was upset that the social media um, algorithms right the, the social media programs use algorithms to promote what's popular rather right. than having controllers tell you what's popular right basically he's mad that people like paul joseph watson or uh, the epic times or the babylon Bee are allowed to exist it should just be the gray lady the new well, york times the, and the you washington know, the Post. days of print news right he, yeah because it was a lot easier to manipulate and indoctrinate and we've people. Talk, we've talked about that, how, you know, the internet has been this explosion of information, truth and error, or whatever you want. And well, look at the podcast revolution, which we are at the forefront of here at the Lion <laughs> Virus. <laughs> the forefront of the tail end. Um, <laughs> the back end of the tip of the spear. <laughs> <laughs> we are the tail end of the tip of the, of the, the shaft of the spear. <laughs> Behind the tip. <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean like joe rogan he makes people mad because he platforms hate hateful people well i thought that was the big news this week and by the way we didn't talk about this but we got uh christmas coming up christmas is on a monday right so we're gonna have to figure out what to do mm -hmm. that week but uh are we gonna do our year in review next week does that seem like the time to do it the seventh the 18th so in a yeah. seven days i'd I, I know you're all looking forward to year in review. You guys love it when we review our predictions, we talk about the year, and then when we make predictions. Right. And it, I, you know, the, the space alien invasion, I think, is on the table. I, uh, the, After listening to the Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones interview, because they, uh, th did you listen to that? I, I've listened to some segments. I need yeah. to listen to the whole thing from the beginning. It's, it's worth your time as a good summary. Uh, look, I know a lot of our listeners are... Um, act like you live, act like you want to live because they're trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of our listeners are already finely tuned to uh corruption and conspiracy and stuff like that, but uh, I, I thought it was a great summary and I thought it was a historic moment because uh, it's sort of a, a re platforming of Alex Jones who was quietly, unceremoniously. Uh, and uh, intensely attacked, you know, what, four or five years ago? Five he, years ago. Was it, was, or was it 2017, 2018? He did, was banned from Twitter in 17 or 18. But I that think. was the last one. Like, right. the, he got kicked off of YouTube, and um, mm -hmm. and it came out that he was, he he pointed this out in his interview with Tucker, that, that Twitter banned him. This came out in the Twitter files. They banned him because he said mean things to one of the CNN guys that had tried to destroy his life. Mm -hmm. It was uh, Brian Steltzer? What's the guy's yeah. name? Yeah. Stepser? Mr. Stetzer. Head. Yeah, he, he... That was really funny because they talked about having called him. Did you see that part of the... Yeah, where Alex Jones said, you're so cute, I want to date you. <laughs> and then and sounded like he wanted to go on he, a date. He was like, okay. Stelter, get, get, get me his number. Stelter is a strange, sad human being. He used to have a show on CNN. It got canceled. 
there was a pretty good zinger there. Was it Tucker that said, or, or Alex Jones said something like, no, no, I'm the one who still has a show. <laughs> and of course, this is reported third hand from right. Alex and, and right. uh, Tucker. But who was the guy at CNN that was working with Stelter? Is that how you say it? I think it's Brian Stelter. They're, they were going systematically after InfoWars advertisers to get them to boycott the show. They were trying to take down InfoWars behind mm -hmm. the scenes, and Twitter kicked Alex Jones off because there were clips of him um, at Congress in, you know, basically bringing this to light and, and uh, accusing these two guys from CNN and saying, look, you're trying to, you're, hurt, you're hurting us. You're trying to hurt our family. You're intentionally evil in an evil way going right. after us. This is not fair. This is not, uh, Amer it's un-American what you're doing, you know, you're, so anyway, that, that whole episode was interesting, but he, but I think Twitter was the last domino to fall there. And then he got sued and then they, there were these massive judgments that came out against him and he, and therefore he declared bankruptcy and he's still on air. Right. I mean, you gotta, you gotta hand it to Jones. He has continued to defy them and to, uh, circumvent their attempts to shut him down. He, he foresaw what was happening. He built his own network or at least network mechanisms, you know, all the, the servers and right. uh, the telecommunications infrastructure, his own studio. He, he set up that whole supplement thing for which he gets routinely roasted for selling supplements, right. which, um, you know, the mainstream media sells pharmaceuticals. So, but he, he's routinely roasted for that, but he, he only did that so that he'd have a, um, a source of income when right. all the... Yeah, he's... When all the advertisers got... In a sane world, we would celebrate him for being this uh, in, this in, in, incredibly successful... Resilient. Independent. Heroic voice, yeah. Story, right? He, <laughs> he built himself up. He pulled himself... But people... Most people who criticize Alex Jones don't even listen to him. They just think that he's, he's, a, he's a cartoon character in their own mind. So there'll be some clip like the one you see a lot when he's on Joe Rogan. He's like, you'll have to excuse me. I'm a little bit retarded. <laughs> and it's just, and oh, they it, cut him off. He's, he's so cuttable uh, out of context. And yeah. he gets, he goes on these rants, like the one about Stelter, he, about him calling him a demon and they've got his picture behind him. He did that. He, right. he set that up. He can get, yeah. Alex Jones can get really animated, but uh, he's still, He's still pressing forward. Yeah, I think it's admirable. I mean, what what was interesting about the Tucker Carlson interview was he started off with, here are all these clips of you predicting what happened, including Alex Jones predicting 9-11 the summer before it happened, right. not only naming the Twin Towers and, you know... But Bin Laden. But Bin Laden. Right. Before it Who happened. Who he calls in that in that rant or prediction, he calls a CIA asset. Yeah. And he's not wrong. He is not wrong. This is all reality. Bin Laden was in, uh, instrumental in the Afghan-Soviet war. Right. Mujahideen. The CIA set that up and then turned right. them into a terrorist organization known as Al-Qaeda, which became ISIS. I right. mean, they just... Which became Harvard. <laughs> the the school right the local communist school <laughs> the, not so the, local of the east the local communist college here is uh 
Well, take your pick. The Harvard's come under fire recently, though, by uh, some of their uh, big well, Jewish donors, right? Well, Ack Ackman, Ackerman. What's the guy's name? Bill Ackman, who is a famous swindler, but uh, sometimes has some interesting points of view. He's a famous short uh, seller. He's gone on a crusade to try and get the president. Well, to the president has said some very hateful things, and the president of see all these Ivy League presidents. I'm going to say something controversial here. It might get me canceled. <laughs> From what, I'm not sure. But I don't think it's coincidental that these Ivy League presidents are all women and they're all overseeing the destruction of the Ivy League. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But um, they went before Congress and because it, they were all on the record saying some really hateful things and allowing people on their campus to say some hateful things about Jews, right? Genocide of Jews. And the, the, uh, the president of Penn resigned. Right. Is the genocide of Jews against <clears throat> their university's code of conduct? Is the genocide of Jews against Harvard? Calling for the genocide of Jews, is that against Harvard's code of conduct? And the president, her name is uh, Gay What's her, uh, Claudine Gay, her, she said, it can be depending on the context. Yeah. It can be against your code of contact. Right. But if you, uh, but at Harvard, if you didn't wear a mask or you say the vaccine is not a literal godsend, that's against the code of conduct. The Ivy League is, is absolutely bonkers. It is bonkers. <laughs> it's almost become... To young people who have these aspirations to go to Harvard uh, or wherever, listen up. By the time you graduate with your degree from Harvard, it will be, it will be a meme school. You will have also the equivalent of a, a mortgage payment in debt every year. Right. Or every month. And people will laugh at you. Oh, he went to Harvard. Hardy Har 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 Harvard. Yeah, I know. We both know a couple of Yale guys. <laughs> anyway <clears throat> it is laughable um i just think it back to some conversations so who's the i'm thinking of uh yeah you know okay off there we but can't it, name any names but uh by the way there's a really cool town in what in the desert of western utah that i I like to go to, by the way. What's it called? And there's a campground nearby. I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, George, the, there's a reservoir. George Washington's. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. The reservoir named after yeah, George yeah, Washington's yeah. home. Yeah. So, um, That's Yale. Um, but, but somebody else, right? Well, George Bush. No, but do we know somebody else personally? I, I met George Bush. Okay, I didn't. I said to him, I looked him in the eye and I said, I know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, everybody does. No, I didn't. I just, I was cordial. I did meet him at one of those. You looked like, at him and you said. This was post-president and he was speaking in Salt Lake and I had a ticket and I went. And I thought he was very charismatic and uh, interesting. Hmm. I liked what he, what he talked about. He had some self-awareness, but then you think, but what's he... What's he really trying to tell us? <laughs> it was an interesting thing. Uh. 
Anyway, where? Yeah. So well, Harvard, Yale, uh, universities. Um, yeah, the lot, a lot's going on right now over speech. Another thing that was interesting in the whole Infowars saga was that Owen Schroyer, Alex Jones, one of his one of his co-hosts. I don't know if you call him a co-host. He's another host on yeah, the Infowars Info Network. Host. He, they, he has a show called The War Room. He was released from prison for what? For speech crimes. For, for he was talking. in a he was in a federal prison for a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. And they held him in solitary confinement for like thirty days or something, and he served uh, two thirds of a sixty day sentence or something like that before I let him out. And he said, "Now this is of course from his mouth, but he said the warden at the end of it told him, I have never seen anyone get railroaded harder than you.' Yeah." That that's interesting stuff. This this Owen Schroyer saga because he uh, he he pointed out that he he had one phone call and he he called out and had thanked people for uh, supporting him and he he said all these nice things to people and complimented the the prison guards or whatever and and was very polite to everyone and then the warden had to call him in because. Members of Congress were calling. Every all these really important people were calling and trying to, uh, I don't know, get him, get the warden to execute him. I know what's worse than solitary confinement. Right. <laughs> they were, they were, they were all upset with how this was being handled or something. And and uh, the warden realizes this is a political hot potato or mm-hmm. something like that. But he had called after the phone call. He had called. Um, uh, Schroyer in to try and ask him, you know, it was kind of like Pilate and Jesus. I don't want to compare Schroyer to Jesus, but it's right. like, what, what's the big deal here? What's going on? And, and, um, cause why, why are all these big names after you? And the, the implication was that somehow Schroyer from solitary confinement and through that one phone call was, was, creating a firestorm of a grassroots movement against these people. Right. And, and the warden, I think, realized that there was, he wasn't doing anything. This is, that this is real, that people, that we have political prisoners in the United States. Absolutely, and, we do. And uh, Shishroyer's experience, I think, is, is really significant. And he served the time. He's in solitary confinement for free speech. And what was his and being, su- supposed crime? Well, I think they got him for something related to being being near the Capitol on January sixth. In 6th. the capacity of a reporter. Yeah, he was report he was a reporter. And what about the reporters that went into the Capitol with their cameras and took pictures of the shaman on the in the pulpit? Well, it depends well, on they their, were near the Capitol. It depends on their political leanings because exactly. because Schroyer said, "Look, they wanted to say this wasn't about free speech." And then at the sentencing hearing, they said, well, you need to throw him in jail for the maximum because he said this, he said this, he did this. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, a, he's what I would call a legitimate reporter, a member of the press. I mean, InfoWars well, what, reports uh, on Of course he's events, legitimate. They, but, they, but that's the thing is they want to have a club there. They want to say you're not a member of the press unless you've passed right. our criteria. And that's the whole, the whole point of the First Amendment is that there is no... There is no criteria. The press is just people. Anybody can be a 
uh, can engage in their free speech. Well, that's why the freedom of, of observing and reporting. That's all that a reporter does. They just get paid for it. You observe a situation, then you report on what's going on. And in that sense, if, if you go to a if if I go to a football game and I watch the game, and someone says what what happened at the game, how'd it go? And I say, well, I that's as legitimate as the guy on the radio who does the exact same thing. Yeah. And that's what you've seen the rise of uh, independent sports commentators on YouTube and yeah. in the internet, and they get a lot of heat from the. You from know, the credentialed from the, guys. From the credential class. The, and the, the way you get your credentials is you work for a company that's been doing it for a long time, or you'll get, they have like, uh, you can get press credentials. There's some organization that gives out press credentials, mm-hmm. and those are helpful if you want to get into an event as a reporter. You can also right? make if you your wanna, own. You can. <laughs> You can say yeah, you can. we're we're Infowars or we're whatever, and these are my credentials because I work for this outlet. But there are there's like the Canadian Free Press. There are other places that'll mm-hmm. give you press credentials from a larger group if you don't want to make right. your own. But the, the the First Amendment was crafted in in the way that it was. It reads specifically for very specific reasons, and it says. You know, Congress shall make, make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then it says, or abridging the freedom of speech, comma, or of the press. You notice they're separate mm-hmm. because speech shall not be infringed. Right. It doesn't matter if you're a, a member of the press or not. We've had people, you know, in the press say that free speech only applies to members of the press. It's like... Right. There's bizarre... <laughs> Okay. interpretations of this stuff but the reason that it's it was said the way it was is because they specifically wanted to keep that separate right and the bottom line right now what we're living through is a is a maoist marxist revolution right. in the in western civilization where free well, speech is under attack religion is under attack uh freedom all all of our freedoms are under attack it's almost like there's a phrase, uh, what does the phrase say? Something like, and it comes from just a, you know, a fringe source. But it Fringe says sources? Like, it says something like, evil conspiring men seek to destroy the freedom of all nations. I think it says something like yeah, that. Yeah, I've never read that anywhere, any, anywhere important. Right, um, right. <laughs> let's not forget the, the last half of the, of the amendment, one, or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Mm-hmm. It, this is this is like Congress shall make no law respecting the protest on January sixth, twenty twenty. Well, they would say, "Oh, but it wasn't peaceful," and, and that's because they. they that's, that's because why they peop- had- their, That's why they were firing tear gas into the crowd. That's right. why now that the videotapes are released, we can it see was who peaceful. was fomenting, fomenting it, the it violence. Was, the, the 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 one person that got hurt that day was shot by a unprovoked by a. Capitol Police officer, who, if that had happened in the in a normal police force out in the regular world, that police officer would be Derek Chauvin, right? They would have arrested him, especially if the victim would have been black. But oh, yeah. she was a white right winger, so she got what she deserved, mm. or so I've read. Now things, I think the anyway the the Tucker Carlson Alex Jones interview, Alex Jones back on. X, Twitter, whatever we're going to call it. Now, I, I've been trying to find this, but did he interview Elon Musk over the weekend? Did there he was have like a, a conversation? Because I'm, I'm having a hard time finding so a recording Twitter, of that. 
Twitter has something or X has something called spaces. I never participate. They're basically live conversations. And there There's got to be a recording of it somewhere. I, I don't know if there is or not. Probably. But it was Alex Jones, Elon Musk, maybe Tucker, and Andrew Tate for some reason. They were all talking? Yeah. Like, like a teleconference. Yeah. As one man speaketh to another. <laughs> I, but the deal breaker for me there was Andrew Tate. I can't stand listening to that guy. Oh, yeah? He has a no, an annoying voice first of all but also he's just kind of a weirdo is he overly dramatic i don't i don't i don't like listening to in- ineffectively Tate. overly dramatic he's one of these guys he's kind of in on the alpha male grift like i will teach you how to be an alpha male no you won't because <laughs> you're not one first of all and he, there's some controversy around him whether or not it's him being railroaded or i don't know I this just, was the guy it was romania yeah, I think got so. in trouble in Romania but, uh, for human trafficking or something. But, but he just all that aside, I just don't like. I think his ideas are dumb, so I don't. I don't listen to him. And he has a bad. He's a bad at articulating because I think he has some ideas that are based in good principles, but he's terrible at articulating them. What's or his claim to fame? I, I is he an MMA fighter or like a bodybuilder? Or I don't know. Is? Honestly, I don't know where he came from. I'm looking it up. Andrew Tate. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Tate. Here's what Wikipedia says. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure they'll be He's Andrew, Emery Andrew Tate III, born 1st of December 1986, is an American-British media personality. Okay, we knew that. Yeah. Businessman. Former professional kickboxer. There it is. Kickboxer. Okay. okay. He anyway. was he, <clears throat> he attracted wider attention when he appeared on the British reality show Big Brother. He was removed from the show after a video emerged of Tate repeatedly striking a woman with a belt. The two later stated the act was consensual. He began operating a cam girl business and selling online courses. Now, this is Wikipedia. Anyway. Yeah, I don't think he's somebody that uh, men should emulate. Right. Well... Well, I'll take your word for that. I've never, if felt, you operate, I've never felt inclined to really listen to the guy. Isn't saying operating a cam girl business, isn't that just a different way of saying you're a pimp? Or uh, uh, making money on porn? Right. With Yeah, he's just pimping girls out, but digitally. I guess, yeah, I guess if you take a cut. I wonder if he had a big feathered hat. If you take a cut, then you're the pimp, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know why he would be included on that conversation, but there he was. So I didn't listen. So Musk, Musk stooped to having an, a conversation with not only Alex Jones, but Andrew Tate at the same time. Yeah. Oh, and uh, So yeah. Tate gets lumped in with Jones in that and maybe case. Vivek was the other guy, not Tucker. Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, the Republican uh, presidential yeah. candidate? Right. Huh. And I don't, I don't know I don't, the background behind it. I saw it. I went on to X. I saw it because they force these. If you follow anybody that's having one of these things, and I follow Elon Musk and Alex Jones now on X. I don't follow them like I uh, follow. Right. That's a technical internet It's a era social term. media term. He doesn't follow them like he follows the prophet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's some... I'm, I'm going to stop. You're, gonna not, some you're not going to run with that? There were some jokes. Some, <laughs> there was some running to be done, but I'm not going to do okay. it. But anyway, um, 
I didn't I didn't partake because I don't I don't particularly like that's not why I go to Twitter. I don't go to Twitter to listen to like a live podcast. I I like to just scroll and get little nuggets that lead to other things. Well, we have limited time, right? You can't right. listen to everything. I'll I'll listen to a podcast that it's linked on Twitter if 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 someone like oh listen to this clip from Joe Rogan or somebody was shared a clip from the Obama produced movie on Netflix called Leave the World Behind and there's a line in there with this black lady or this black guy says or you can't trust anybody out there especially white people. This is the new Netflix movie. I heard about this from some friends over the... Yeah, Leave the World Behind. I don't Junior know, Roberts, right? I don't know anything about it other than, I guess, the Obamas had something to do with financing it, and which means you had something to do with financing okay, it. Okay, so they said it, there was predictive programming. This was like preppers, end of the world stuff. I think it is, like, yeah. And you can't trust white people. Yeah, I'm sure now, there was there a was, lot of I'm sure there's a lot of wokeness in it, but the 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 friends that we were talking to said, "Oh no, they're they're telling you something. This is this is a message movie. They're trying to tell you what's what's about to happen." Well, Klaus Schwab says there's going to be an internet shutdown. <laughs> well, no, the Mind Virus show said that. Yeah, I know. A while ago, I know. Our predictions before, was it before Klaus Schwab said we predicted it a long time. We haven't ago. been wrong about anything. It's just that stuff hasn't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> alien invasion alien invasion hey so alien i've invasion. said it on twitter in print i've said it on here 2024 is gonna be wild <laughs> it's gonna be wild yeah hang on take your vitamins <laughs> okay okay so sorry back to what what were we talking about uh, we're just we're just doing the by the way mm -hmm. this is the mind virus podcast mind find us on the web at mindvirus.show it is uh the twelfth month, the eleventh day, the two thousand and twenty-third year since the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, at least according to the calendar. Mm -hmm. I am Jordan Bruno. You are, and I am Bobby Flood. Okay, so we just have. Okay, so for the last few minutes, we've been introducing the. We've just introductory comments, uh, as is our tradition. <laughs> we are flying by the seat of our pants. We we had intended fully to talk about something else. By the way. Go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, if you're new here, this is pretty standard fare for us. This is how it goes. Yeah. By the way, here, I have a uh, container of eggnog provided to us by the illustrious short story contest winner, Pepe Le Pieu. Mm-hmm. One of our very... This is becoming a mind virus tradition. One, yeah. One of our very favorite uh, listeners. He's provided us with a little eggnog for the season. Homemade. Homemade eggnog. Thank you, Pepe. We will now... Smells good. Partake. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that is thick. Um, very good. Has a very has a very nice taste. Right. That's way better than the store bought sugar laden yeah. carton stuff. Although I'm cer certain there's sugar in there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to kind of um. <clears throat> Go easy, go easy. You got. You want to savor every little sip. This is kind of like drinking frosting, almost, <laughs> isn't it? Kind of. I've never dr drunk drank frosting. Well, you've never lived. I mean, I've eaten frosting. You've never drank it. Well, how do you drink something that's solid? Well, it's not always it's solid. Called, like when it's. You, have you ever made frosting? Well, me personally, it, it can be, no, it not can really. be not, kind of liquidy and drippy. Yeah, I, I get it you. hardens up. <clears throat> I'm not a baker. I, I'm a cook, but I'm not a baker. Do people in your family watch the uh, the British Baking Show? By the way, I just have to ask that question. Um, I don't know, because that's a thing at my house. 
they're always watching the the British baking show and they're they're always saying things like 30 minutes bakers or, or right. ready set bake get your I watched um, Star Baker out here. I watched a similar show on Netflix called That's not uh, jelly. I think it was called Barbecue Showdown. It's an American version. Yeah, and it's the same thing like but they're doing meats, right? It's Bakers like, at your ready. Smokers, 8 minutes to go. Oh, oh, I, oh I, I, I don't even have my sausage cased yet. Oh, oh. <laughs> but I, I like watching cuz I when I say I'm a cook, what I mean is I'll cook meat. You're a meat cook. I'm a I'm a meat cook. I I do burgers, brats, steak. I did steak for the whole extended fam last night, and they couldn't stop raving about it. We so should like, we should hold a steak conference. Yeah, that'd be good. I cooked steak for some of the Mind Virus listeners. Yeah, elk steak actually. But last night we did ribeyes. We splurged mm. and. It's kind of funny because I've done steak for this group before, but last night they were just raving about it, and I did nail it. But they're like, "What's your recipe?" And I'm like, "Recipe? <laughs> well, first of all, ribeye, meat, <laughs> beef. Ribeye is a great place to start. <laughs> and then it gets very complicated. You get salt, pepper, butter, garlic." Two minutes on each side to start. Got to get that pan hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coat the pan in avocado oil. Put a little more than you think. Get it hot till it's smoking. Two minutes on each side, depending on the thickness of the steak. Get a good crust. Cook to 115. Let rest until it's 120, 125. Boom. <laughs> I'm salivating. I'm thinking... I'm going to sneak over to the flood house one of these days. And, and be generous with the salt and pepper. Salt and pepper before you cook it. Okay. Be generous. A lot of people are like, oh, we just put a little smidgen. No. I think it, we put your steak recipe up on the website. One of the... We might have. And it's not mine. If no, it's you like go a real to the basic website... way to cook a steak. Oh, come on. It's I think you could great. copyright this. You could do a documentary <laughs> on this. Um, Here we see... Bobby Flood. You would not be proven wrong years later. <laughs> this steak is now underwater. Um, no, we put it on the website. At mindvirus.show, there is a search function. Mm-hmm. You can probably search for steak. I'm not going to do it right now. But you could probably search for it and find it. This is good uh, eggnog. Should we put this recipe on the website? Pepe's eggnog recipe? Pepe could comment and give us the recipe. All right. That'd be great All if right. you want to give us the recipe, Maybe Pepe. Maybe he could do it in short story. Pepe, format. we appreciate your listening and uh, giving us, providing us with uh, drinks to imbibe from time to time. Thank you for your patronage. Please support us at our we should various do, outlets. We should do a PBS-style um, fundraiser season. Have live call-in? A call-in show? No, just ask people for donations repeatedly, interrupting our regularly scheduled program. This is another reminder that we're currently engaged in our pledge drive. Anybody who donates $10 or more will get a free... Tote bag, tote bag. A free helping of smug. (laughs) Smug? You will feel 10 to 15% more smug for at least a half an hour. What do I have to donate to get the tote bag? A tote bag... 
full of smug can be available for a donation of $100 or more. No, on a, on a more serious note, uh, thank you listeners for commenting. We've had a few guys that are new comment recently. Uh, really appreciated that. A couple of, couple of folks commented on the episode 152. I think we're calling this guy Logon Bump, not Logon. Mm-hmm. or Logan Bump, uh, but gave us a, pasted in an interpretation of the parable of the talents. And Hold then, on just uh, a minute. We've just got a donation come in for 38 cents. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Scrooge McDuck. We also had another friend, Nicholas, post uh, some... some uh, uh, similar like uh, indicated their like-mindedness and uh, appreciation for the post that uh, Logon Bump uh, posted. So that was great. We got a little discussion going there, and I do want to comment some more on the parable of the talents, since you guys seem to find some to t- take some interest in that. I think it's real relevant given the um, current sort of uh, branding initiatives. From the church. Yeah. And, bef- and before we go there, though, I did want to point out Kenny, our friend Kenny, mm-hmm. who I believe is from Idaho, uh, has I he's down- from South Park. He's from New Zealand. He downloaded the New Zealand record level data and he started making comments on it on episode 156. If he's from New Zealand, instead of Kenny, should we should we be saying Kenny? Kenny. Maybe this is the guy from New Zealand. This is his data. The whistleblower. <laughs> Are you the whistle? If blink twice, if you're the whistleblower. <laughs> anyway, uh, he he started to analyze the data. I'm not sure what conclusions there are to be drawn, but this was the data we were talking about that Steve Kirsch published. Mm-hmm. And uh, just really quickly, if you want to read his last comment, he just says that the data shows that for the first shot, it gets worse. After the first shot, it gets worse. So, um, what does it mean? I don't know. You know, I'm, I haven't really looked deeply into what he did there, but it looks like on a Sunday morning he kind of got bored and decided to start looking at the data. So. Yeah, he also so uh, keep did going us there. a favor us- in that the comment fields can hold a lot of characters. <laughs> yeah, contact Steve Kirsch and see if you can replicate what he did. I'm just kidding. You do whatever you want with that data, but uh, thanks for commenting. But uh, I, I did want to. I do have some comments about the parable of the talents. You you care if I go off for a second here? Go for it. Okay. Because this is. Did you read uh, the article that Logon Bump put in there? Yeah, I liked it. I he thought it linked, was an interesting perspective. He linked to uh, a website, Spacious Faith, to a, a 2017 article that someone had posted, which was a repost or an adaptation from a sermon published or preached in October of 2007 at a Mennonite church in Kansas. And then um, Nicholas also pointed out some information he found at an article published in 2014 about a misreading of the parable of the talents. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you guys that the parable is misread, but I'm not... 
and I and I appreciate again. I I, I want to take a go back to my uh, my comments from episode one fifty two and expand on those a little bit. And I think you guys you guys have um, it's an it's an interesting idea that maybe the the that parable of the the three servants and the 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 Lord that me, that appears to be the, the the wealthy man who appears to be very mean or evil in this that it could be intended to be taken that that's the devil right that that's or that's Babylon or whatever that's essentially the the gist of these articles that these guys put in here is that this is intended to be sort of a negative uh, story a, a story that's meant to be taken as what we shouldn't do it's not it's not positive and we're not talking mm-hmm. about the good god we're talking about the bad god it's there's a possibility there that it could be taken out you can take the scriptures any way you want right but is it as it, long as they paint you in a personal <laughs> in a positive way as long way. as they validate you <laughs> Then they validate you and your the institutions. I mean, that's essentially that you what we have in the world today: is uh, people will cite this and low here and low there, and I am of James and I am of John, yeah. and anything to justify their own behavior. Yeah. Anyway, um, at the risk of sounding like I'm saying, yeah, that's great, but you're wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give my interpretation. I'm going to say this as if it's. If it's the correct way, of course, you know that everything I say here on the podcast is my opinion. If it's true or not, that's something you need to, to discover on your own. But I think there's, it's important. I want to revisit this because um, the parable, the, the, the wealthy man in the parable is the Lord. Okay, this is a comparison to the Lord, and this is really important. And, and I, again, I appreciate that you guys brought this up in the comments section and, and I think looking at the scriptures critically like this is important. So I, I really like your your thought process. Uh, Log on Bump mentioned that this this particular interpretation had come up on our forum this month. Do you know which forum that Log on Bump is referring to? Is this LDS Freedom Forum? I know we've got some listeners that... There is a user on Freedom Forum with that same username. So it could be the same. Because you participated. I've participated on Freedom Forum before. Mm-hmm. We're going to link to LDS Freedom Forum... You know, I could probably get the... There be dragons ahead. I could probably get the creator or the the guy that runs Freedom Forum on the podcast if you wanted. That I know be, him. Yeah, that would be awesome. He's a fun fun guy he to talk to. He's on interesting. on the forum as creator yeah. <laughs> of the forum. Yeah. Um, sure, that'd be cool. Yeah, he's he's got great insights into all kinds of stuff. Um, anyway, let me, let me just point out a few things about the parable, the talents... And interject wherever you want here, Bobby Flood. But this <clears throat> just got a donation for a million dollars <laughs> from K Schwab. <laughs> Underneath the donation, it says conditions may apply. Thank you, K Schwab. Speech <laughs> editorial oh, conditions says, click, may apply. Click for conditions. You must stop podcasting now. <laughs> hmm. Conditions rejected. Okay, so we're not going to take that million dollars? He didn't say we had to stop podcasting. Now. Now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Parable of the Talents. Okay, I I want to point some things out here because this is really, really, really significant. Now, my my first comment is that 
this section of Matthew, and we're going to go off of Matthew, okay? Matt, I agree that Matthew is the more more uh, important text relative to the parable of the talents. It does show up in Luke chapter 19. And Matthew chapter 25 is preceded by, strangely enough, Matthew chapter 24. Okay, I, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, Matthew chapter 24 talks about the destruction of the temple. It talks about false Christs. It talks about the abomination of desolation. It talks about the return of the Son of Man, the lesson of the fig tree being ready at every hour. This talk, It's like, it's, it's sort of mirrored. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 gets special treatment in the Joseph Smith translation, right? That I think in our Pearl of Great Price, um, if I'm not mistaken, isn't uh, the Joseph Smith translation reproduced entirely of Matthew chapter 24? Yes, it is. It's after the book of Abraham. Uh, and uh, I think it's Doctrine and Covenants section 45 treats some of the same material. So this is an end times text, all right? And this is why, uh, th- this, so Matthew chapter 25 is a cosmic, needs to be read with a cosmic perspective. Now, to log on bump and Nikolaos, I recommend if you have not listened, go listen to our episode ninety-two, I believe it was, on cosmology. That's the one I'm not in. So Bobby, Bobby didn't show up for that, so I just went. I, was, I went on and on for like three or four hours. I was at the climate repentance ceremony. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is serious stuff, okay? But it's it's fun to hang out with Bobby. So. No, it ninety-two. Ninety-two is an awesome episode. It's four hours long. It, it gives you an insight into the, the, the mind, mind of, of Jordan, of Jordan and, and the way he can talk about this stuff. Uh, it, it's an excellent episode. I did listen to it while I was on my way to the repentance ceremony. It, it lays out um, what I believe is better explanation of Joseph Smith's co- theocosmology, of how he would look at the, the layout, the topography of the, the reality that we're caught in, which is that we're caught in the celestial kingdom, the death world, and the world we were supposed to be in was the terrestrial world, the earth world, and it fell. There was a fall. There was a cutting off, right? Mm-hmm. And then um, a, a harmonious cosmos, a, a, the system without the war going on, would be the heavens and the earth, a heavenly area where heavenly beings participate in the progression of themselves and other beings that are going into earth experiences. You know, so, so people are starting out at the bottom as if they were climbing a ladder, and then they're climbing from rung to rung to rung until they get to the top level. And at the top level, you find the father and mother gods. Okay, that's the, the ancient cosmology. That's also a pretty good representation of, I think, Joseph Smith's cosmology, especially taking the King Follett discourse into account and um, sections of the Doctrine and Covenants like 84, 76 especially, 93, parts of 132. Now, there's a lot of problems with 132, but it does talk about uh, all heights and depths, right? Kingdoms, thrones, principalities, powers, dominions, exaltations, etc., etc. Cherubim and seraphim <clears throat> at the top. Doesn't I don't think it specifically mentions the cherubim and the seraphim, but the assertion is that that Joseph Smith was looking at and had seen. He said, of course, that if you could look into, if you could gaze into the heavens for five minutes, you could, you would know more than was ever written by anyone on the subject. And um, 
he uh, I, th- I think that his perspective more closely matched with this ancient uh, more ancient reckoning as to how the whole thing works than it matches with um, what, what is commonly taught in the plan of salvation lessons all right so so it's important to realize that everyone that's here on the earth came from somewhere in the heavens the terrestrial or, or the terrestrial kingdom right you came from some level of the of that system before it was cut off from the presence of God. Go read the Book of Mormon and look at how often the the Nephite priests explain that we are cut off from the presence of God. This is really important context. It's a concept explored in depth in the uh, song Cotton Eye Joe. (laughs) Okay. Where did you come from? Where did you go? This is he's so it's so true exactly what Bobby said. Well, anyway, that's the that's the preface for this is you need to realize you're talking about end times because that's Matthew chapter 24. The the, the book of Matthew didn't originally have chapter breaks, right? And of course, there's all kinds of commentary we could make about how it's been modified, how the synoptic gospels have been made to match each other, whatever. But what mm-hmm. we have. What we have currently is cut into chapters, and so you get these breaks, and they cause you to to lose focus of what's being talked about. This is uh, the, the the text discussing the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the separation of the sheep and the goats uh, when the Son of Man returns are all following this end times discussion. So uh, when you get to the parable of the ten virgins, we 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 find ourselves in a um, in a strange place because we lack context. We think modern Christianity is very egalitarian. It's like everybody's in the same place and everybody has the same potential. You know, well, one of those statements was correct. And, and well, both of them were correct in a, in a certain way. Everybody is in the same place. We're all in the fallen world right now, but not everybody came from the same place in that hierarchy of the heavens and the the terrestrial worlds. Some people had greater glory than others, and that's why the book of Abraham is so instructive. In chapter three, you know, the Lord is explaining this to Abraham, and he lays out lays it out in the context of the heavenly bodies, the stars. And he's showing them, he says, look, they differ in glory. And you're always going to find one star that's brighter than the next. And so all with all the intelligences that were created before the world was, they differ in glory. I, the Lord, am greater than them all, right? So I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is what I'm trying to say. I'm not making this up. People come from different places. So the, the, the most significant part about Matthew chapter 25 is who is he talking to? Is he talking to everyone in the world? Or are we going to liken the kingdom of heaven unto ten virgins? Okay. Okay. See, this is important because the virgins are not everybody that came to the feast. Right. Okay. The virgins are not everybody in the town. Okay. The virgins are a prototype, an archetype of someone that's very important, right? someone that's invited to the feast. These are higher level beings. They would potentially be inhabitants of the heavens, people who had to come from a higher place to get to this low, far away place that we're in right now, telos, tele, right? That's the Greek tele. It means far away, television, telephone, telephoto. These are all Mm -hmm. about being farthest away or at the utmost end. Televangelical. Televangelical, yes. (laughs) Good. 
Um, so anyway, it starts out with the parable about the ten virgins. So we're talking about a special group of people. And some of those people weren't faithful, okay? Because you've come here and you've forgotten everything. You've lost your memory. You've fallen into the death world. You're separated from God, right? Well, the, the most significant thing to our uh, discussion here about the parable of the talents is verse 13, where it ends with, Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. The Son of Man is a name title that's not only given to Jesus. Uh, Isaiah, I think, receives that appellation at one point. Uh, Son of Man is a, is a title indicating destruction. So we're talking about the return of the Lord when he comes in his destructive role, the end times again. This is very, so, so I'm trying to point out to those that are reading the parable of the talents differently that this is very consistent with the previous section of text, which is Matthew chapter 24. And therefore, we need to read the parable of the talents in the same context because it starts off and it says, and, and, and so I would translate verse 14 differently. I would say, expecting that the audience is intellectually strong, I would say, um, we just read, watch, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And similarly, there, let's talk about a man on a journey who called his own servants and committed or handed over the things under his rulership to them. Okay, so, so verse 14 again. Simmer, similarly, a man going on a journey, the word is apodemo. It literally means away from homing in Greek, right? Going away from home. So if the heavens are your home or the, or the presence of God is your home, the man is coming down into this realm, right? Luke chapter 19 talks about the man um, going on a, a, a very far away journey. He ta- he's, this, this nobleman is taking a far, a long journey, far away from home. And so again, remember, we're in the telestial world, the furthest away. Similarly, in Dante's Inferno, again, go back to that episode 93, or 92, and you can see I posted a picture of Dante's cosmology, which is very similar. You have Inferno, Par- Purgatorio, and Paradiso. And um, the, the word Inferno in, in Latin and or in, in Italian, you may be surprised to learn, does not mean a raging fire. It means furthest away or furthest down. Okay, so a faraway journey. We... Again, guys, I, I'm not trying to be mean, but the the context for this is the is the the ancient Near East, not the Nicaraguan subsistence farmers. This was a this was a very prosperous time in Israel. They were a, they, it's it's like being a state in the state of the Union to be a uh, a province of Rome at the time. This the the movies are all wrong. Remember when we talked about the chosen? I took a lot of issue with that. That the, the all of the movies are trying to blame Rome for the, the death of Jesus. And, and it's, that's not the context that this, was, that this was happening in, okay? This is a very prosperous time for Jerusalem and a very stable time for them, okay? And um, so this, this uh, parable would have definitely hit them on a few different levels. All right, but it would not have struck them as a negative inverted type of a thing. So anyway, 
it says that this noble man in Luke chapter 19 goes on a journey far away from home. And uh, there's there's really instructive language here in verse 14 of um, chapter 25 of Matthew. It says, he called his servants. Now, the word is doulos in Greek for servant. Douloi. Uh, Paul said there was no greater honor than to be called a doulos Christos, servant of Christ, or, or doulos of Christ, because doulos means to be bound to. The word used in Mormon circles is to be sealed, okay? When you are a servant of a household at that time, this isn't like a servant in um, colonial America. To be a, a member of the house, especially of a noble house, would be to be like a member of the family, all right? They took good care of their servants. I'm telling you, the, a lot of the media that you've seen about servants in Rome and servants are, you know, in this era is a misunderstanding. The, <laughs> I'm not saying I would prefer to be a servant versus to be the son of the nobleman, but <laughs> it's not in the way the world worked at the time, it's not necessarily pejorative. It's not necessarily terrible. And to be a servant of Christ the Lord, as Paul indicates, is a great honor. So to be a servant of the Lord in this case is a big deal. To be doulos Christos, to be douloi. And he, he hands over to them the things that are hupo arco. The th- his possessions is the way it's translated. But these are the things that are under his rulership. Hupo, arco. Underneath, hupo and arco comes from arche, archon um, in Greek. They're under his rulership. So who, are, who or what are the things under the rulership of Christ? In the, in the parable uh, in Luke, it says... It doesn't use the word talents. It uses uh, the Greek um, minar, mina. Anyway, these are, uh, tra- it's translated in King James as pounds, right? So it's, it's the emphasis on how valuable the treasure is, is, is downplayed in Luke chapter uh, 19, because it's only talking about pounds. In Matthew, it's the talents. But w- the reason I bring that up is because in Luke, when the ruler, when these servants prove themselves faithful, the Lord, the the nobleman, gives them rulership over cities. He doesn't he doesn't double their talents. He gives them a station to rule over a city. So there we're talking about people. Okay, this is important. And uh, so anyway, we're 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 dealing in metaphor here, right? There's multiple levels, and I and I'm. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I would expect that if you're crazy enough or if you're if you're unusual enough to be listening to the Mind Virus podcast repeatedly, you may be interested in the same topics. You may consider yourself a fish out of water in certain circles. There may be a reason that you're different from other people in this world that just don't care about stuff like this. If you care about truth, you find yourself in a minority, depending on how much you care about truth, right? To what extent you're willing to go to, uh, you know, anyway, this is all between you and God, but you need to figure out where you came from and why you're here and what your mission here is, because that is the point of the talent discussion, okay? For the virgins or for the servants of the noble one, which is not everybody, you 
you have a great responsibility to expand upon the talent. Okay? This is not... The heavens do lament. Many are called, but few are chosen. So wait. The Lord doesn't qualify who he calls? <laughs> I think in some cases he does, but you also... The, the individual bears great responsibility in that same... The Lord respects your agency, is what I'm trying to say. You you get to choose. I just think I'm just. I know, I know, I know. You hear that? We've heard that all the time. Whom the Lord calls, He qualifies. Then you calls He qualifies, but then you realize that that's not really scriptural. Well, if if you're talking about um, making a, a primary teacher equal to the task because their bishop called them, and we infer that that was the Lord doing the calling, then. You know, that's a different discussion. I, sure. I Maybe so, maybe not. I don't know. You step up, whatever. God helps you with that, great. But what we're, we're not talking about a call from your bishop here. We're talking about the Lord calling to you individually right. and you hearing the voice of the Lord because you know that you have to transcend the limitations of whatever you were born into to fulfill your, your cosmic purposes here in the battle against darkness, right? So Those there, are people that Nibley called sent ones, those who came from a higher place, people who have that virginal or virtuous mm-hmm. quality. So is there, is there a connection? In the Doctrine and Covenants, we learn why many are called but few are chosen. Is there a connection there to the parable of the talents? Well, I think so, uh, but it's... it's uh, not a direct textual connection. Sure, it's sure. The, it, we're inferring, since we're talking about virgins and douloi, the, the bound ones of Christ, um, that they are the called ones, those who were sent here for for a reason, the ecclesia, the, those who are called out, right? That was the word that got translated as church in the scriptures. And then, of course, people like William Tyndale were killed, at burnt at the stake because they wouldn't associate they wanted to disassociate the ecclesia from the institution, right? Because it's right. people, not... Luckily, we, nobody does that anymore. Yeah. We talked about how that's a, that's a problem, right? But uh, so when it says many are called, but few are chosen, why are they not chosen? Because they fail to understand this one lesson that the, that the rights of the priesthood are inseparably connected with the powers of heaven and cannot be exercised, handled, or controlled, except upon the principles of righteousness. Close paraphrase. Um, the the powers of heaven. When you when you look at some of those diagrams of the the names of the levels of the celestial heavens, powers is often the word used for one of the first few levels. So, you know, if you if you think it's talking about energy there being handled or controlled or uh, used, you're you're missing a little bit, right? We're talking about. People. We're talking about individuals, entities that that uh, operate on behalf of our heavenly parents, our you know the hierarchy of the heavens. Mm-hmm. So, so it does relate because you could say that uh, the the foolish virgins failed to understand that lesson. You know, right. Uh, it's been said, and I forget, I think it's in Doctrine and Covenants, there was an explanation of the parable of the virgins where it said that those who were wise took the Holy Spirit as their guide. 
right? Well, who's the Holy Spirit speaking for? The Lord God, right? The Lord of the hosts, the Lord, the war host leader, Jesus the Christ, right? The 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 true God of this world. So we're talking about high level people here, and that's why it's so significant that the one buried his talent because it's it's kind of like Spider Man, right? With great with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> is that not okay to use no I, I just laughing at all the there was one time i i quoted dune on twitter once fear is the mind fear is killer. the mind killer and the person i was responding to was really mad he says how dare you quote star trek <laughs> and he was not being facetious and i said well indeed <laughs> Good for you. You let him off the hook. <laughs> no, I, I think I, I called him out and he was like, I mean, I meant to say Dune. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> I meant to say Dune. <laughs> there, yeah, I'm not sure how you could get those two mixed but up. But I've seen some memes and stuff like, with great power comes great responsibility. Abraham Lincoln, 1860. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. But, but yeah. it is a good principle. It's become a little bit of a meme because there's been so many iterations of that story. Star uh, Spider Man story. Right. Poor Uncle uh, Ben's been killed like eighteen different ways in mm-hmm. the cinematic universe, but but it's a great principle because it's true. And so is that what the parable of the talents is basically saying? Like you, I, I've given you stewardship over what is mine, and you didn't take good care of it. You didn't improve it. You didn't edify and educate and enlighten. That's that's one really good reading of it. Now. A better corollary than a, a better corollary to where great uh, where great power is given, there's great responsibility. Is where much is given, much is required or expected. That's right. a, a probably a better um, right. related truism that where 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 you've been given much, much is expected. So so those people who didn't come from as high of a place, less is expected of them in this particular war world experience can we liken this to ourselves then well you have to find yourself in the story you know if this is if you're out there and you're like hey i gotta know you know i I really want to understand this this resonates with me i really feel like i have a mission here you know well let me let me speak collectively and not individually for a minute So Latter-day Saints, we've been taught, we've, we've both been raised as Latter-day Saints in this culture, and, and up until recently, we were constantly told that we were a, a chosen generation and royal priesthood, right? We were... We were that pe- was a big a, deal. A peculiar people. <clears throat> yeah. And so we took on this identity of being those things. We don't hear that language much anymore. I'm not sure why. Maybe the people that aren't saying language don't believe that. Maybe they don't want to get in trouble with the Marxists at Harvard. I don't know. They don't want to sound... um, Exclusionary, exclusive. Uh, We do that in different ways. What's the word I'm thinking of? But we, given our own culture, our own doctrine, our own uh, uh, kind of worldview... Much has been given to the Latter-day Saints. And according to our history, and we, we, we have 
the revelations of Joseph Smith. We have the claims of Joseph Smith. We have the Book of Mormon. Now, the mm-hmm. Book of Mormon, we, we like to, I mean, it's literally copywritten by the church. Well, their version of it is. Right. But I don't think that was ever meant to be exclusive to the Latter-day Saints. I think it's, it's supposed to be a companion, another testament of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. out there as everything else. And it, it is. Of course it is. But it's just an interesting thing that it, and, and and I guess you could say the copyright somewhat protects like having an NIV version and a modern version mm-hmm. and a Ebonics version and you know all these different versions of the Bibles that exist. It's probably good that the Book of Mormon hasn't had that treatment, although it's been changed by the institution here and there, here here a little, there a little. But you can still get the original text. It's still out there, mm-hmm. but much, that's actually uh, the name of Skousen's work. Here, or there, here, the or original there. text. Oh yeah, I have that. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, very original title. <laughs> 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 but what what I'm getting at is is our we consider ourselves the the guests of the wedding, the servants, right? We but maybe we aren't. Maybe we are. But I also think collectively we tend to do that. Oh, we're we're saved for was it Hinckley? President Hinckley said like, "You people being born now are the best mm-hmm. of the best of the best, sir." <laughs> A paraphrase, <laughs> but but uh, individually though people don't don't do that. Individually, like, well, I'm just the choir chorister. I'm just the primary teacher. I'm just the financial clerk. And I think we sell ourselves short on our spiritual and our uh, intellectual capacities because we, we're in this sort of culture that has ceilings, right? Well, that's, I think the purpose of the Babylon system is to hide your true self from you, especially if you're one of the weak things of the world. It's often described as the, that the Lord does his work through these unexpected people. Uh, Isaiah said of the Lord, he hath no form or nor comeliness that one might desire him. Mm -hmm. Right. He, he, he came according to John, he came down into the world unto his own and the world recognized him not. This is, Mm -hmm. this shows up in the parable in Luke. The world doesn't recognize him. Mm -hmm. The, in fact, let me uh, keep going, but. uh, Right. And and so I guess I'm wondering is if, Speaking specifically of Latter-day Saints, since that's our background and what we often talk about, is it is it a matter? Because I don't think it's controversial to say that we don't see the fruits of a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, like like I think maybe we should. Well, I think the word I was looking for earlier was self-aggrandizing. I think maybe the the church is backed off from some of that because people view it as self-aggrandizing, and then yeah, the, right. the polls the polls say it doesn't play and well it, with yeah, the non-members. It's polarizing, but Jesus was pretty polarizing, and, and I'm well, not even saying the church should or shouldn't use that kind of language. Only that we used to, and we don't. And well, we're, well, what we're taught. Sorry, I'm cutting you off. Well, we used to, and we don't. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't, I don't know. But what I'm getting at here is, is it, we, we have been given much. Collectively, the Latter-day Saints have been given much. And I'm wondering if we've squandered all of that, and we haven't 
where much is given, much is required, we aren't fulfilling our part of the requirements. Well, well the, the way that the hierarchy has uh, evolved since the days of Joseph is that the, there have been... Um, uh, Look at it this cu- way. Culturally, just real quick, culturally we have, we have morphed into a situation where you will become... Uh, a leader in the church if you promote the orthodoxy. Right. And you were talking about people who essentially are more... Well, look uh, at I'll it use the word like, humble. They, 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 they're, not, they're not orthodox, so they don't end up in those positions where people view them as the servants of the nobleman. Well, there's definitely that. There's the, the cultural tendency or trend to call wealthy, successful lawyers and businessmen. I mean, we, there's a, a new apostle was called this last week, right? And he looks like he has a background in, in business. And they're always very vague. He worked in business. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. He worked in the automotive industry. Okay. That could mean anything. He also worked in Saudi Arabia. Oh, that's different. And I, I don't know anything about this guy. I'm not judging him or, or condemning him or anything. He's given some talks that people really like, and people connect to that. And so already people are like, well, this is a great addition to the team, like it's a hot stove free agent baseball team or something. He's going to mm-hmm. be a great addition to the quorum. And, and, well, maybe, but we don't know because we don't know him. Mm-hmm. But think about it this way. Where much is given, much is required. We've been given much have the re- the requirements nowadays tend to be really uh checkbox sort of ritualistic rote we go to church on sunday check i'm fulfilling my requirements i go to the temple once a month check i'm fulfilling my requirements i have a calling i buy a chicken from the vending machine i donate my tithing but and so you have this this culture of like obedience to the rules, but there's very, I'm gonna get in trouble for this. There's almost no spiritual fruits. There's no man. There's no gifts of the spirit being manifested. I don't want to say no because I know it happens, especially with individuals, but collectively, like we we haven't had. Uh, for example, for example. Peter, it was Peter, was it Peter and John that came out of the temple and the lame guy was there begging them for money? And he said, silver and gold, I have none. Yeah. But I'll give you what I have. Rise up and walk. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, the homeless aren't allowed near the temple, right? They're brushed off with brooms and billy clubs. Please do not give to panhandlers outside Temple Square, and, is what the signs say. Right. And they've, they've, built up around they kind of have this buffer right with, with city creek and yeah my point being here though is that the elder so and so and so and so didn't come out of the temple and and heal somebody we don't see that kind of thing and i'm wondering if bec- that's because we're we didn't fill the oil in the lamps the, or or the people who we've elevated to these situations aren't actually the wedding guests the see now now you're getting into dangerous dangerous well, territory I, i'm including but, us i'm including our whole church i'm including us as latter-day saints maybe we haven't got it all figured out well, and we need to reassess and, and and start asking ourselves 
why am I not experiencing the fruits of the Spirit in my own life? Why are we not experiencing it collectively? The the point is that if we were to get into trouble for this discussion, it would prove who the wedding guests are not. (laughs) Right. Okay. Well, there's been plenty of that with other people, too, if you want to go down that road. Right. But, uh, yeah, the question is, can we we frankly, honestly discuss in a semi-public type of a way these concepts? Or to bring it back to the talents, like... Who's been given the talents today? Right. So just just to reiterate, though, it, you know, it says um, really quickly in Luke, this is interesting because the, the first part of Luke 19, Jesus is um, dealing with a man named Zacchaeus, and he's at the end of the conversation— Jesus says to him, this day is salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham, right? So he's saying, you're also a special person for the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's mm-hmm. the preface for the parable of the 10 minas or the equivalent of the talents in Matthew as they get into it. And it says that as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh unto Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should appear immediately, right? People were thinking, okay, this is the end. This is the end that's been foretold. These ideas of a wrapping up scene have been mm-hmm. in the psyche of um, the followers of Christ for forever, mm-hmm. right? Since the beginning, because they've known that the world was cut off, okay? They, they, they've known that, the, and, and the... F- in, in many ancient cultures, the coming of Jesus was foretold, Egyptian, Babylonian, etc. He, he fulfills a lot of prophecy, especially that of the Jews. Anyway, Jesus therefore said this. He says, a certain nobleman, so we're not talking about just a, a man. Like Ma- The language in Matthew is a little bit more concise. Here it says, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. So we have the language of him being a nobleman. He's going into a far country here. And then he called his 10 servants, his douloi, and delivered to them 10 minas, or 10 pounds is the way it's translated in King James, and said, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. The, the, The true leadership is rejected. The true followers of Christ are often rejected by the city, the people, the, mm-hmm. the citizens. The, well, yeah, that's everywhere. And they put, others in, in, they put others in their place, and then when that becomes stable, those who are the, the, the virgins, those that are invited to the, to the feast, those who are the douloi of Christ, are often not um, recognized. Right. So, and again, I'm not making a commentary on any one person in particular here, but I know how this could be read or or heard. You individually have to, whether you're whether you're the bishop of your ward or you're an area authority listening to this or the the librarian. Do we even have libraries anymore? Yeah. Whether you're the 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 Junior, junior primary sunbeam teacher or the guy that does building lockup, you have a responsibility to determine what the Lord wants you to do. Right. For if you are doulos of Christ, if you are bound to Christ, sorry, I'm 
making noise with the mic here, pounding on the table. <laughs> you have to figure that out. That's the problem. That's the, that's what makes the parable of the talents so important because this is this is an issue between those who serve the Lord and the Lord well, and no, without intermediary. I think maybe the point also is that because you, you could read this as saying, well, I don't know if I was one of the noble and great ones that Abraham talks about. What if I'm not? What if I'm just a scrub? I'm just a bench warmer. Then I don't have any responsibility. But the point is, no, you can become one of those by your actions and your deeds and your commitment to follow Christ and to serve Christ. That's right. the and whole point, is that we can all become one of the wedding guests. Yeah, you can invite yourself to the wedding, so to speak. But if you're going to climb a ladder, you've got to start at the oh, bottom yeah. rung, and so line you up have, online. You have to find where you really were at. You're not. If you came from, let's say, you came from the first level of the celestial kingdom to, to this fallen world, mm -hmm. that's where you were before. Mm -hmm. You don't go back to the seventh level or the third level or whatever. You'll go back and resume your progression, your mm -hmm. eternal progression. Yeah, from your prior point, and you may have gained a great deal of experience here, but you're not going to jump to right. the. Th that's the problem with the way we teach the plan of salvation lesson. It's like you were with God before, but you came here, and then you're going to go to one of these three new, novel, new idea kingdoms right. that that are rewards. No, you came from one of those kingdoms. Well, you came from a place, and you're going to go back up. It's a it's that, a system that exists currently. There is right. a celestial kingdom right now, and there is a terrestrial kingdom, and we are cut off from it because we were supposed to be in it, and we're fallen, and we need to get back. And those places, I think, have a lot to do with your your spiritual standing or your your current status. Not your status, but your your the way you are right now. Meaning that are you progressing now? Are you seeking knowledge and light? Yeah. Now, and if not. You can change your heart and mind and start seeking it, which is what you were just which is what you were just saying. There is another parable called the Think Celestial. There is another parable called the parable of the eleventh hour servants, right? Right. I don't know if that if we would call that a parable, but those people who who um get to work later, they're still entitled to the same reward. I guess it is a parable. There's a lot of servant master parables that the Lord taught. That's mm -hmm. obviously not uh, an accident. Mm -hmm. We have one in the Doctrine and Covenants, mm -hmm. which is an interesting one. There's some interesting interpretations of that, I should say. Which one are you talking about? I, I think it's in the Doctrine and Covenants. Section 101, where, where they, they failed to build the tower? Exactly, <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> they didn't build the tower. There's no watchman, because well, why would we do that? Everything's fine. Everyone All is well loves Zion. us. Nobody's going to. There's no enemies at the gate. Well, let me. The UN loves us. Let me point out just a couple more things here on the on the parable. There's a few more words that I think are really important because it it solidifies what we're talking about. That these this is for special people, right? This is for people who want have a relationship with the Lord or want a relationship with the Lord in that way. The word. Um, comes up in verse 16 it says that that first servant traded okay and th this it gets taken it can be taken as a financial metaphor uh, or as a financial literal mm -hmm. reading right you can take it that way the word is traded says he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same the word in greek is 
ergazomai. It means I work, I trade, I perform, I do, I practice, I commit, I acquire by labor. Okay, so you can see that it can mean that, but it can also mean that he worked. The servants mm-hmm. are supposed to work the vineyard, to prune it, to uh, work the field, reap the wheat, right? They're supposed mm-hmm. to do things like that. So it also applies in that sense. Um, again, to to back up something I said previously, uh, verse 21 in, in Matthew, it says that his Lord said unto him, this is one who expanded upon the talents, this is the first one, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Thou enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Okay, now when it says enter into the joy of the Lord, that's one thing that ought to <laughs> help us realize we're not talking about the devil here. But he says, um, "Make I'll make you ruler over many things. The word is polos, pol- polos. Many things, much, many. It, do, it, it can be translated as many things, but he says, I'll make you ruler over many. All right? Uh, one of the levels of the heavens is the level of the archangels, right? An archangel is a ruling angel, right? So as part of a person's progression, they gain stewardship over other entities. It's just an example. It's not the only, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion, the only station in the heavens where people have stewardship or care over others, but it's just an example of how the language demonstrates that that is a part of the process. Same with thrones and dominions, right? There's um, there's many examples of how other people who rise up then become either looked at as rulers or in the case of the way the Lord likes to talk about it, servants. So mm-hmm. he he who is the greatest is the servant of them all, right? It, and it makes it it adds a little bit more depth to this whole idea of unrighteous dominion. It's not just a thing for jackass governors. No, <laughs> in fact, it's most specifically for those whose influence who have been matters. Those who've been chosen or, or called, called, but but it, most specifically, their influence has a is is supposed to be a cosmic lasting transcendent mm-hmm. influence that transcends this world. Right. The the stakes are much higher for those in those positions. Right. Well anyway, the the idea that um he will make them rulers over many is also very analogous to very similar to in Luke 19 where he s- says okay, I'll make you a ruler over cities right. because you expanded upon the minas or the talent or the the pounds. Well, uh, getting to verse 27, there's another part of the language here that that really um, uh, is instructive, and that is the word bank. It's translated as money exchanger in 27. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put... This is now he's dealing with the, the servant that didn't expand on his talents. Mm-hmm. And remember, we pointed out, and one thing I liked about the articles that uh, Log, Log on Bump and, and uh, Nicholas mentioned is that they identified that a talent is a vast fortune. One of the articles said perhaps 15 years worth of wages. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's money, just one talent. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's why I want you to see that they, they were using a, just a exorbitant amount of money to try to to expand your vision from this world to to the heavens. We're not talking about a, a yearly loan that a subsistence farmer would have. We're talking about a vast fortune 
and and that's why we want to we want to make it clear that this can be related to the treasures of the heavens. Mm-hmm. Well, verse twenty-seven, uh, he's upset with this last servant. He says, "Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers." Okay, and uh, the word exchanger is trapezites. It can mean banker or exchanger, but it literally means a tabler, okay? Because a trapeza or trapeza in Greek is a table. It's just a table, a table for dining or a feast or exchanging money or whatever. Things are done over a table quite often. So a trapezites in this case is translated as banker or exchanger, but it literally means tabler, one who's working at the table. Kind of like- Where the phrase under the table- comes from, well, no, like if you're doing something shady, you're, you're absolutely you're, right. You're doing it under the table. You're absolutely unseen, right because business is covered. done. Business is done in that way. Right, right. So in English, uh, in Greek, the taste indicates it's the doer of the thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I would say in English we would say that we would use the word tabler rather than exchanger. Uh, but it's like actor, uh, dancer. You know. You add the er on it, mm-hmm. uh, podcaster, mm-hmm. prognosticator, <laughs> blowharder. Um, <laughs> the, that's what this means. And, and the reason I'm br- making special effort to talk about this word that gets translated as exchanger is because it is what we would call uh, a hopox legomenon, meaning it's, a, it's used once in the text, mm-hmm. in the New Testament. So... There's not a lot of sources or evidence that we can go to in the New Testament to try to explain what this really means. You can go to other sources, but our most instructive source is the fact that it is derived from the word trapeza, which is a table. <laughs> right. Okay, it's very clear what this is. It's, it's somebody who works the table. So this is very clearly something the author would have is wanting to allow multiple meanings for, and a money changer is one of them. But it's just somebody who works at the table. The table, though, could be where there was a feast, right? Where there was fruit, where there was work going on, right? That's important. Another thing that we find in verse 27 is that it says, you should have taken the money to the exchangers. The word is argurion, silver or money in French, argent. Uh, on the periodic table of elements, silver is AG, gold is AU, mm-hmm. right? So it's not it's not just money. He says silver. This is this is a a, a very clear because in the other parable he used the word minas. He's using the the physical denomination in Greek. Okay, in this one he's using silver. And, and again, Matt, I think I agree with these guys uh, that posted that the Matthew parable is more important than the Luke one for a lot of reasons. And I'm going to get to those in just a second here. But the um, uh, silver is important because this this gives us a link into alchemy, right? And we have an alchemical text in the Bible, that is Malachi, where he says, I will make of the sons of Levi silver and gold. Who? Everybody in the world? No, he's going to purify the sons of Levi. The sons of Levi are who? The priests. They're the servants, the douloi, right? Yeah, who robbed God and and the whole nation. Exactly. That's what it said in Malachi. We talked about that. But he's, his, his point is he wants to purify them and bring them back to him, right? Because they need to do the work. And in this case, the servant didn't do the work. 
the next um, word that's important is in verse 27, he says, you should have, he says, you should have put my silver to the tablers, and then when I came back, I would have received my own. Okay, my own is the word emos. It's the emphatic possession. Think of Gollum, my own, my precious. Think of in finding uh, Nemo, the, the, the seagulls, mine, 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 <laughs> you know. This is the emphatic possessive. He, he would have received his own. His, is it talking about his stuff or his seed? Those who were lost, the lost sheep, right? Those who they had care of. Okay, and then the next part of the verse 27, which is super instructive, is the word used as interest. He says, I would have received mine own with usury in King James, with interest. It can be translated as interest, but the word is tokos, and interest is the third definition of um, tokos in the Liddell Scott lexicon. What do you think the first definition is, Bobby Flood? Increase. No. Um, Childbirth. Okay. (laughs) Yes, it is increase. Interesting. But it's offspring, bringing forth progression, Hmm. new life. Isn't that amazing? Right. I mean, isn't this kind of like giving you chills? It's like this is a very, very important part of Scripture that has been thoroughly changed or thoroughly misinterpreted in a lot of ways. So you're saying it doesn't mean take your money and put it in the stock market and hide it from everybody. What, what I what I what I find interesting is just like a lot of scripture, it's ambiguous enough that it can mean that it can. If and you're a literalist, well, it, or, or so that those who are blind might not see. Alluding to what I said earlier, isn't that what he said about why I speak in parables? Yeah. So that those who are blind will not see, and those who are deaf will not hear it. Because, like I said earlier. It, it can mean uh, take the money that people donate to you and invest it in the stock market secretly if that's what you're doing. And then you look at this and say, no, we're just, we're just, we, they, you can justify your actions. Because look, no, we've, in, we've increased the talents. Because look, the New Testament, the Lord himself said, take the money and put it in the stock market. Go on, take the money and run. And... Also invested into other things that are going to increase with interest, like real estate and malls and resorts and and stocks and bonds. And obviously, I'm being very specific here, but my point is we can use these things to justify anything. And that's the problem, right? That's why you have to... That's why you have to... Be in touch with God. That's why you have to have a, a relationship with Him. You can't... You can't farm that out to somebody else and say, well, that person over there said this, and so I'm okay with God. I'm thinking celestial because I loved the talk. You're absolutely so right. So-and-so gave a talk. You know, that's one of these things, and I don't mean to pick on Elder uh, Piron. I don't know him, right? That's the whole point. But people are already saying, he, I, I know this about him. I know that about him. He's called of God. And I'm, I'm going, that's, maybe you've gotten that witness, but that's the whole point is we have to get to that. And you can't do that instantly, right? Because we don't know anything about this person individually. 
the duty the, the, the duty devolves <clears throat> upon you to get in contact with God for the truth. Right. And also the duty is that each of us treats ourselves as if we're the servant and we have that direct relationship with the master. There's no intermediary for that. You have to you have to have that. And yes, there's hierarchy like you've talked about. Well, but everybody has a relationship with the servant, with the master. Everyone has a relationship with the master, but not everyone is a servant. And right. the, this is an interesting... But everybody can become That's one. right. That's right. You have to start at the bottom, right? There was, <clears throat> there was an interesting conversation I remember having in Gospel Doctrine one time. Uh, we we're talking about Holy Ghost or something, and there was a, a story related by, I think, Heber J. Grant about um, a lamp salesman. You know, mm-hmm. he had he he was working. It was probably not Heber J. Grant. It was probably Joseph Fielding Smith or somebody, or Joseph F. Smith. The idea. I'm sorry, I'm getting all the sources wrong. But the point was the point was that around the turn of the the 20th century, when electricity was brand new, there was a man who was studying in a university, and he had to study by candlelight. And a lamp salesman came and demonstrated this lamp, and it was. Um, incredibly bright very very good light you know consistent light and just blew away the candle that he had been using right and the teacher who you know who lives across the way from you was saying well what if we're the guy in this story who has this light you know or who's just been shown this light right the 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 customer what do we do once once we're presented with this this overwhelmingly awesome new light and he wanted the class to say we need to tell people about the light right and my i was the first one to raise my hand and i kind of stole his thunder and interrupted <laughs> is sometimes my tendency what and, and he's what do we, what do we do what do we do jordan what do we do and i said Buy the lamp, buy the lamp, buy the lamp, <laughs> purchase the lamp, acquire the lamp. And he was perplexed a little bit, uh, perturbed that I would be so emphatic that we have to buy the lamp because I, w- I wanted to emphasize that you have to acquire the light. You cannot go out and sell the light until you've acquired the light. Is it the parable of the two lamps by James E. Talmadge? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Talmadge, in the, okay. In the, in the parable of the two lambs, Elder Talmadge, Talmadge describes a time when he was a student and was sitting outside his lodging one evening and was approached by a stranger who turned out to be, turned out to be a lamp salesman. The salesman offered to show the young James Talmadge the lamp he was selling. James replied that he already had a lamp, a very fine Argand lamp, which he offered to show the salesman. Young James lit his lamp. You're now realizing how poorly I remembered it, but keep going. (laughs) And the salesman enthused over it. He then asked permission to demonstrate his Rochester lamp. Elder Talmadge records, It had a chimney which, compared with mine, was was as a factory smokestack alongside the house flue. Its hollow wick was wide enough to admit my four fingers. Its light made bright the remotest corner of my room. In its brilliant blaze, my own little argon wick burned a weak pale yellow until that moment of convincing demonstration i had never known the dim obscurity in which i had lived and labored studied and struggled james immediately bought the lamp and on testing it found that it could emit 48 candle power compared to the 12 candle power of the argand lamp 
Two days later, James met the lamp salesman again, but this time about noontime. When James asked him if he was working that day, he replied, Do you think that I would be so foolish as to go around trying to sell lamps in the daytime? Would you have bought one if I had lighted it for you when the sun was shining? I chose the time to show the superiority of my lamp over yours, and you were eager to own the better one I offered, were you not? Elder Talmadge then proceeds to set forth a part, a very small part, of the meaning of the parable. Let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The man who would sell me a lamp did not disparage mine. He placed his greater light alongside my feebler flame, and I hastened to obtain the better. See, and we only read the first half of it. We didn't read the part where he says, I bought the lamp. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we, read, we read the first part of it. But it was, to me, the, and the story was told in the context of missionary work. As and, it is here, yeah. Kind, kind of, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, And Talmadge does that. Talmadge talks about missionaries. Oh, okay. The missionary servants of the church today are sent forth not to assail or ridicule the beliefs of men, but to set before the world a superior light by which the smoky dimness of the flickering flames of man-made creeds shall be apparent. I like the story. I, the, the way he treats it is really good. I, I think that's a pretty uh, awesome, helpful story. And he, of course, liken, uh, makes the obvious connection with the let your light so shine. You right. know, man does not light a candle and put it under a bushel, but sets it on the table that it gives light to the whole house, so also a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Right. You know, let your light so shine. That is essentially the the thing that the third servant failed to do. That's, right. That's, that's the point of the talents right there. I think you could apply the, the lamp story also to the acquisition of knowledge, even greater knowledge. Uh, Joseph Smith said, a man is saved by knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we can, and, and light and knowledge are often equated. Yeah. And because as you know more, you see more, you understand more, you have more light, and literally light too. I mean, Joseph describes light very uh, in, in great detail when he describes the first vision, right? A light above the brightness of all others descended mm-hmm. slowly. I've always thought we overlooked that. Mm-hmm. Light is fast. Mm-hmm. Right, but in this case, I picture light coming—not just the being coming slowly, mm-hmm. but the light descended. Yeah, which is interesting. So it was an otherworldly experience, as if it right. was trying to infiltrate this, or as if it was, well, it was not just trying to, but it was steadily we, uh, removing the darkness that forget, Joseph was uh, succumbing to. Oftentimes, in paintings and things, he's in this grove of trees, and it's a beautiful spring day. It probably mm-hmm. would be no leaves if it was. Yeah, if it was in the around been, the spring equinox. Yeah, it could have been kind of cold and mm-hmm. kind of a gray. Uh, forest, but he was also surrounded by darkness. I think that darkness was probably literal, just as the yeah. light was literal, and that yeah. light had to penetrate the darkest abyss, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Thy mind, oh man. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, that's the story. That's it. Was James Talmadge? So you were pretty. You were pretty. Uh, you were in the neighborhood. In there, the neighborhood, off, yeah. Off your memory, it wasn't a candle. He had a different lamp. But, but you told the gospel doctrine teacher by the lamp. By the lamp. By the lamp. You've got to. You've got to seek not to declare my word, but seek first to obtain my word. Mm-hmm. Is what Hiram was told. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know this is this is really important. Uh, we we teach that the missionaries, and then they they're supposed to study a bunch of stuff, right? But the 
the word of the Lord, yeah, it could be written down, but what matters to a doulos Christos, a, a servant of Christ, would be his word to them, the direct right. instructions of the Lord as they stand watch like a sentinel in a war awaiting his direct instructions. It's not, if you've got a war going on, it's not one size fits all. Everybody's doing their mission in a coordinated effort, coordinated by who? Jesus, you know, so that uh, his eternal goals are met. And why? So that he can save those that were lost. Why? Because he is coming to destroy the earth. And that is the last part of the parable that needs, or at least uh, not just the parable of the talents, but Luke chapter 25 that we, we need to end on. Because, again, the work is more related to childbirth, to offspring, to bringing forth, to progression, right, than it is to interest. And um, three times in this chapter, you get a discussion of the, the day and the hour or the time when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And that's in verse 13, in verse 19, and in verse 31. So, and, and it all is contextually consistent with it coming after the discussion in chapter 24. So that's my plea to those of you who are out there. See this for what it is. If you're if you're attuned, if you're looking for greater light and knowledge, if it's if it's if it is something that's really really important to you, you need to realize this is for you. We we must acquire the light and then expand on the talents, but that requires a conversation with the nobleman. It requires a conversation with the Lord. It requires taking the Holy Holy Spirit as your guide. It it it, it is a uh, a much more daunting idea than simply connecting up with an organization or you know following through on a checklist the, or, or doing what some man recommends. It, it is it is scary. It's daunting that we're not going to be able to um, that we're going to fail in our mission, and it should be a source of uh, discomfort. Otherwise, why would we do anything, right? If we, if we didn't feel like something was wrong, why, why uh, does Neo, the um, Keanu Reeves character in The Matrix, why does he look further? Why, does he, why is he listening to Morpheus? Because he wants to know what The Matrix is. He wants to see the actual reality. He, he, he has to obtain the knowledge, and then he can begin to work in his own hero's journey and become an influence for others. Right, it doesn't happen immediately. So that's it's just an important um, side note to the story because I think what uh, what you've said, Bobby, is important. Yes, if you want to be on the Lord's team, you can be, but He will then have to set in motion all of the things that have to happen for you to be an effective member on His team. And many are called, but few are chosen. Right. Right. But the Son of Man. Coming in his glory is the overriding theme, and you get it, you hit it three times here. And three times the people who are working with the Lord are mentioned the virgins, the servants, and then finally in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him. In Matthew 25. 25, yeah. <clears throat> then he shall sit upon his throne of glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he'll separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep 
from the goats. So who are the servants? The angels. Who are the virgins? The angels. Those are the the um, connections to be made there. And that's why the consequences are so dire for the third servant. Right. And that's why the Book of Enoch narrative is so significant. The ones that um, the ones that fully rebelled, they can never have um, forgiveness because they've already, in the presence of God, denied their, their, their inheritance, and that's why they're called sons of perdition. Right. Uh, I do think I do think there's some good uh, takeaways in the interpretation that were posted on in the comments. Oh, don't and don't get uh, me wrong, I agree. I, I think it's a good, interesting perspective. Um, essentially, I think you can be a, a person if you're a person that's in charge of things, a boss, a business owner. Mm-hmm. You can treat the people that you work with better. I think that's. Mm-hmm. something we can learn from. Now, there's obviously that the world is a big diverse place and you have like the, the the things mentioned the Nicaraguan farmers. That's a whole other thing that a guy, a business owner in Des Moines, Iowa or Provo, Utah can't do much about. But he can treat his people better. Mm-hmm. And and understand that the people that work for you if you're a business owner or or the the your family members that you're have stewardship over or with they aren't just fodder, right? They're people, mm-hmm. and you treat them as people with great potential. And mm-hmm. and uh, I've seen people who work, you know, for for companies or whatever, become like family members because they're treated well and they're treated with respect. And I, I think that's a, that's a is a good lesson from there. And and obviously, there's things that you you can take this whole idea of a, a usury and. and uh, taking advantage of, of people, you know, ignorant, ignorant people or stupid people or just taking advantage of a fallen financial system. Well, that's a good question. It can be legal, but is it right? Is, is it there, moral? Is there usury? <clears throat> is there interest in Zion? Is there, uh, is there money in Zion? There's right. definitely money at Zion's bank. <laughs> well, theoretically. <laughs> Not a lot of interest. May, it, could be, it could be there will be a run on that bank. You know, they've been on the list of uh, regional banks that are potentially right. failing. But, but that's, those are good questions. We've, again, it's a discussion that we want to well, have. It, what, what is a Zion-like society? Right. And, and uh, there are many who believe that the Constitution will be applied due to the Ezra Tab Benson stuff, especially if we're talking about Freedom Forumites. Um, there's this idea that uh, the LDS church type style hierarchy will exist in the heavens and uh, the constitution or the principles of it will apply. Mm-hmm. And that will be the basis for right. the legal system that exists in Zion. And that that's a good question. Is that the case or is it simply the idea that people who are inhabitants of Zion understand correct principles and they govern themselves? Right. Right. And, Again, uh, legal doesn't mean ethical or moral. Just right, the, because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. The the reason for a legal system is <clears throat> so that you can punish offenders. Right. When when people encroach on each other's persons or their property, that's the right. point. You have to have some sort of a uh, higher morality than simply a vote. 
right. some sort of a consistent rule that applies that allows you to take someone's freedom or their property or their life. Right. That's why we have those legal systems. So is that a, does that apply in the real world, the living world, the world connected to the gods, the world that is in light and not in death? I mean, these are these are questions we we ought to have. Discussions we ought to have. Can you can uh, yeah. we set up? Could we set up a Zion society right now? I don't think so. I think if we tried it, it would be overrun by the usurpers, the, the been, liars, the cheaters, the thieves. This always happens. It's been tried, and it's led to the death of billions of people. Well, then some. <laughs> yeah, if, when it, it when it turns into communism and some. Right, and I don't mean just the natural deaths. I mean the murders and the you know the genocide of billions of people. It's also been tried in smaller scales, like uh, Orderville, United Utah. Order, yeah. Orderville, Utah is a fun story, and ultimately that, it, that failed. It just didn't work. Because we're trying to apply something that meant for a different realm into a fallen realm with fallen people and selfishness and uh, misunderstandings and just hunger. <laughs> people want to eat. Right. They want to be warm in the winter and they want to have food to eat. And that's what makes it difficult in this world. The, the resources are scarce. It's not a living world. It produces thistles and thorns spontaneously rather than uh, fruits and flowers. It's, it's the noxious weeds. It's the scarcity. And I think that's why um, the king comes and he, it, it's a high bar, right? The king comes and, and it's not just the servants he's talking to at that point. He's talking to everybody. He's like, you that were found good on the right hand, you have an inheritance because when I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you visited me. In prison, you came to me. And the righteous, those who have that tendency, that inclination to, to prioritize the treasures of the heavens over uh, temporal and, and uh, societal aggrand self-aggrandizement, right? They say, well, we don't understand, you know, we, we, when did we do this to you, Lord? And he says, well, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brother, and you've done it unto me, that's the big kicker, right? The people who can be that naturally without recognizing, see, see it's almost as if, if you've read Matthew 25 you're disqualified because you had the cheat sheet. Now, now you, you can't. Now, you, now know. you can't do it because now you now you now if you do it, you're just doing it to get the reward rather than it being what's innately in you, what you really truly believe. Well, I'm doing this because, and we and this shows up in the movies all the time, right? The the evil person who does all the it's it's uh, the chicken man in um, Breaking Bad. Gus Spring, right? right. He, on one hand, he's killing people secretly, and on the other hand, he's doing all these charitable things in the society, and he's this massive cartel boss. I mean, or, or that's the UN. Well, of course, they have their charitable the re, the, uh, wings, right? What's crazy is that in the movies, it can kind of start to look cartoonish, like it's a cartoon right. villain. But the UN is worse. Well, the U, the, yeah. There was a headline. <laughs> That Mike Lee, the senator, one of the senators from Utah, the, the only one with the brain in his head. Sorry. Of the uh, two. <laughs> <laughs> but he held up a newspaper article and took a picture of it and pardon the headline, but this is what it said. It, I don't know how many children I raped while at the UN. 
And, and the that inter- was a newspaper headline. It was yeah. quoting quoting somebody. And the the article goes on, or the guy's like, I don't know. It might have been twenty. It might have been twenty five. I didn't keep track. As a UN peacekeeper type, you know, they would go to these countries, right? And they were, and you might say, well, it's just one guy. It's like, no, you can find a lot of stories like that. You can find a lot of stories like that. And yeah, for some reason, uh, a lot of the money the church gets from from the stock market ends up in the hands of the UN. That's a, a, and the church releases press releases about that. We're proud to announce a $10 million donation to UNICEF. And uh, that's where I kind of sit back and I scratch my head and I go, okay, well, the parable of the talents in this context, because the church has referred to the parable of the talents to justify their vast wealth. It's like, I don't really care that the church has wealth. I care what they do with it. That's the better question. And donating to UNICEF or building malls is something that a lot of people have yeah. questions about or scratch their head about when it's like, there's people right here in literally in the shadow of the church office of building. the everlasting hills. In the shadows of, oh, by the way, Lloyd Newell, he of music and the spoken word. He's the spoken word. Yeah. He's leaving the show, and he's been called to be a mission president. Oh, okay. So somebody else will have to talk about the shadow of the everlasting hills. I, I, but I, here you have, you, have, you have people who are faithful members of the church, right? They do all the things they're asked in the shadow of the church office building who can't make ends meet. And the, and the church is giving money to the UN. I just think there's some disconnect there, right? Under the least of these, my brother, and well, the UN's not the least of anybody. They're world tyrants. They're maniacs, and it's a strange uh, uh, bedfellow that the LDS Church has decided to to make. And that's just one example, right? But um, I think e- even if these parables are are talking about people, you know, leadership or people of uh, special capacity, I, again, you can all become that, right? Line upon line. And so we should take these lessons to heart, and we should seek greater light and knowledge. We should seek to expand our understanding and, and exp- be better stewards of whatever. You're, you're a steward of something. You're a leader of something. It might be your household. It might be just your own life. If you live alone mm-hmm. and single, it just might be making sure that your life is, is put together in a way that, you know, like maybe like Jordan Peterson would say, hey, like, clean your closet. Well, seek... Seek the light of the Lord too. I mean, we can't right. we can't do much about what the institutions of the world can't are, do going, about are going to do. Honestly, you can't and, do anything about and, it. You know, that's been proven. And I, I, I want to say, you know, don't share this pod this particular podcast. Don't share it. You know, don't go out and try to recruit people to be the the servants of the Lord. That's the Lord. You know, don't don't try to teach it. You have to obtain the light, and then you go out and you do what you think God is telling you to do. Right. You know, we're not... Well, I don't think there's some, like, mass prescription or cookie-cutter solution for what it means to be a servant yeah. of the Lord. The Lord needs a lot of people to do a lot of different things. Men, men go mad in herds. They come to their senses one at a time. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this is one-size-fits-all. I think this is a really a tricky subject. So to, to talk about it in the terms we've talked about today, I think is very significant, but also very um, sensitive. 
you know, because a, a lot of what we learned in the church was, you know, you join it and then you're, um, if you're a man, you get priesthood and you're on track to do all these things, which yes, you have that potential. But Joseph exp- explained that any man who um, had priesthood had been ordained from before the foundation of the world. From before the fall, mm-hmm. there were those who had that responsibility. And it can't just be anybody that joins the church, but anybody that joins the church can, you know, if they check all the boxes, they can receive the Aaronic priesthood if they're a male or, or Melchizedek priesthood if they're, well, if, uh, an Aaronic priesthood, once they're a young man, Melchizedek priesthood when they're older, right? I started, uh, mm-hmm. I almost said that, said something really crazy there. But uh, um, that can't be if those who have priesthood actually had received it from before the foundation of the world, and it wasn't everybody. Right. And why are they all corrupt? Everyone, yay, everyone, because they love money more than God. Who are they in that context that I'm alluding to? The churches. And, and what are churches with their people? I think we take a lesson from the parable of the talents, the other scriptures that we should love God more than the praise of the world, the love of money. We should seek to serve him regardless of the consequences. The, the unfaithful servant was afraid. And there's risk involved, right? There's risk in, in serving the Lord. You might lose your job. You might uh, lose relationships you might get made fun of if satan could fall from the seventh level of the celestial kingdom into oblivion as he has done then nothing is safe nowhere is safe not there there is always agency especially and including when the the fallen cut off loss of memory world is resolved there's always agency but god's system operates in harmony because the people in it are of that quality. They are harmonious. And, and the reason we have this world is because there was a war in the heavens. And right. so you, you, again, where much is given, much is required. And where you've put a lot at stake, there is a great reward or a great treasure awaiting those who are true and faithful servants of the Lord. So it is, it is, it is something we don't really address very often, but the stakes are high and we each have an incredible need to know ourselves, to find out who we really are, and to come into contact with the Lord in a in a tangible way. I, I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, there are those out there that say, "Well, if you if you don't see God in this life, you're not going to make it," or whatever. Don't think of it that way. Think of it in terms of standing watch like a sentinel awaiting his every instruction. If you are truly seeking, God is going to make it happen for you. He's going to make sure you get done what you need to get get done. And you you should have some anxiety over it, but not too much. You know, you need to you need to make sure that God is at the forefront of our minds and activities. But it, recognize your <laughs> you're in deep <laughs> blank as they say this is a this is a bad situation so if you're if if you're not performing to the standards that you <laughs> have set for yourself take a deep breath look for the lord right he forgives s- sincere people <clears throat> he he will save those 
who will take him to be their God. And, and the fir- I think the first step is chill out and listen. Still small voice, right? Because, you, you know, you can't, can't go from zero to a bazillion miles an hour in, in just a second. We're, this is a, like, they're, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just say this and I'll stop talking. Hugh Nibley was incredibly astute. And in his, um, that sort of autobiographical, not really, but it was, it was done while he was alive. That documentary they did on his life called Faith of an, Faith of an Observer. It was Truman Madsen, I think, that spearheaded that. Right. Truman so, was involved. And, and, but uh, he was alive, and he, and he got, I'm sure he had an editorial say. I know the guy directed it, actually. But, did, yeah. but didn't really have, pretty much wasn't going to let him publish anything that he, he didn't approve of. And he, he, his words there, which I think are really important for all of us, he said, look, there's really only two things we can do. We can repent and we can forgive. We can repent and we can forgive. We know, as we've talked on the podcast, what repentance is. Metanoia, to change your heart and mind, to shift, have a cosmic shift of your heart and mind to the true God of the cosmos, to, to your true nature, to recognize your need for your connection with him. You can repent I can repent, change my heart, mind, and I can forgive, not condemn. You know, we got all kinds of craziness going on, and rightly so. You know, this world is messed up. But do you yeah, need? It is. Do we need? Do we need the the church or the UN or whoever to do the work for us? No. Like you said, we have ample opportunity. Not just in your own town, not just in your own neighborhood, but in your own family. I'll bet you can find someone to lift up, someone that you can um, visit uh, free from prison, <laughs> figuratively, clothe. These, these are all metaphorical. There are metaphorical aspects to the clothing, to the visiting, to the freeing from prison, feeding, thirsting. Right. Take them both figuratively and literally. I mean, yeah. the point is, there's people in in a bad way who need you, to who need your light, especially right now, especially during the holidays and the winter when it's cold, especially and, at this time of the world. I mean, think of how and, damaging and, social media is to people. <laughs> well, look what like, happened to the the lockdowns, like ruined civilization. Yeah. It ruined it. Yeah, and we've got to put the pieces back together. Uh, and so, but not just that. So, social media has ruined civilization. Oh yeah, they're in a, they're in a mind well, prison right now. You Bobby sound like, Flood, Bobby you sound Flood, like Al Gore. Bobby Flood repeatedly. Well, the the okay, there was the mind <laughs> prison of the newspapers too. But uh, Al Gore condemns algorithms. I, I just couldn't believe that. I'm like, this simulation laughs at us. Oh, yeah, a guy yeah. named Al Gore hates algorithms. <laughs> I bet he can't sing. I bet he has no rhythm at all. <laughs> You're probably right. He certainly has no sense of uh, Do you remember when humor. Remember when he was running for president and they tried to copy the Kennedy's football game? Uh, I don't remember okay. that. <laughs> I remember lockbox. Lockbox. Anyway, and I remember okay. Barbara Streisand saying, Three reasons we have to elect Al Gore. The Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thankfully that didn't happen. 
Well, anyway, uh, I'll just keep running in circles if I keep talking here. But no, it's been a great conversation. I, I want to say to uh, Log on Bump and uh, Nicholas, thank you for commenting. Um, I I don't. I know I'm pretty emphatic in my in, in my views. I appreciate that there are other views out there, and I and um, I think that you know it's good to explore other views and well, every, these- everything. And I'm not I'm not the ultimate authority. God is. But thank you for commenting is what I want to say. I really appreciate that you guys came out of the woodwork and uh, it's fun to hear from new people. Uh, we have we, we, we have a, maybe not a huge audience, but an audience and it's fun to get people involved in talking to each other. And I'm, I'm grateful that you guys put that out there and added new perspective. And so- well, I hope- think these are the kind of conversations that we should be having at dinner tables and in uh, Relief Society rooms and- half cordoned off gymnasiums where the elders are are in the choir seats right those are too comfortable you just go right to sleep yeah yeah but no thank thank you so much for commenting it was fun i hope that you guys have other uh comments that you want to make and that you'll join in if if you feel so inclined uh other people out there that uh have anything to say please let us know what you think. Also, if you're somewhat new to us, I'd be curious to know how you found us. Throw a comment in there if you, because we don't really do any promotion. I we have there is a Mind Virus Twitter account, and I've tweeted like four times. We have a newsletter. I think we sent one, or we have an email newsletter, right? I think we mm-hmm. might have sent one email. The next right. email we send will will be to uh, let you know in advance of the second coming. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Third world. No, but I, I'm just curious. Yeah, if you, if you're new to us, how did you find us? And uh, and uh, I would contradict Jordan. I would say, go ahead and share this. It's fine. You can share it, but <laughs> but there be dragons here. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for commenting. We, as always, we appreciate it. Uh, next week we will reconvene. We will. Are we committing to the year? In I review? think we're going to do year interview next week. And I think next week is a is a monumental day for the Mind Virus podcast, right? Third year in operation. Yeah, we'll celebrate our three three years of this. We've never missed a week. Which is pretty remarkable, given yeah. the personalities of Bobby and Jordan. <laughs> three full, three full years of blah blah blah. Again, Arrested Development is so funny. The attorney's name is Bob blah blah. Yeah, Bob <laughs> Bob blah blah blah. blah. It's awesome. Uh, there, what's in a name? Name titles do mean something. That is a significant thing. So yeah, they do. Al Gore rhythm. Al Gore hates algorithms. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.